from New Hampshire Public Radio. This is Stranglehold, an investigation into the power and people behind New Hampshire's first-in-the-nation presidential primary. I'm Jack Rodolico. Let me say that while the evening is young and we don't know yet what the final tally will be, I think we know enough to say with some certainty that New Hampshire tonight has made Bill Clinton the comeback kid. This is a speech that made political history. It was 1992, and Bill Clinton came in a surprise second place in the New Hampshire primary. And those words, the comeback kid, they did as much for New Hampshire as they did for Clinton. They further cemented this little state's reputation as a place that can catapult a candidate to the White House. But that story, it has been told. There's another part of the speech I want to tell you about, a part that's pro forma, something your ears are trained to tune out. I want you to let me thank just a few people. This bit coming up, it's an important part of the primary machinery, thanking the local officials who endorsed Clinton, the people who helped him claim that title, the comeback kid. First, my state co-chairs, Lee Eshelman, Morrell, John Broderick, George Bruno, Anita Friedman, George McLaris. So this night was kind of a high watermark for what a New Hampshire politico could get in return for endorsing a presidential candidate. A small handful of these people went on to pretty plum assignments in the Clinton administration. In this crowd at a New Hampshire hotel in 1992, there are two future U.S. ambassadors to tropical countries. Not a bad return on investment for endorsing a candidate in the New Hampshire primary. This has been a tough campaign, but at least I proved one thing, I can take a punch. This time on Stranglehold, we're going to take a look at one of the most purely transactional parts of any political campaign, endorsements. One politician vouching publicly for another. We want to know, what does an endorser really get for their support? Because ambassadorships, that's the exception, not the rule. This transaction is not always so black and white. I don't think endorsements generally make much of a difference. Why do you think the campaign spends so much time courting you then? Because they want a good show from the state they're in. It's like guilt by association. You really work hard for somebody and then win or lose, they just set you to the curb and then two years later they bring you back to life. Well, your whole this whole wall is yeah. Kennedy. Right. I would have endorsed him. <laughs> You would have got my endorsement. (laughs) So let's begin where a lot of great stories from the New Hampshire primary start. Memory Lane. I was in the audience there when John Kennedy was speaking at UNH when I was a uh, underclassman, met him, he shook my hand, he said, hi, I'm John Kennedy. I said, hi, I'm Lou D'Alessandro. <laughs> I'm Lou D'Alessandro. 
Lou D'Alessandro. He's 81 years old and currently the longest-serving state senator in New Hampshire. And his office, it's like a monument to his own political durability. This is an example of the tough part of politics. That was, an, that was a cartoon that was in the UD leader that my kids had to see. D'Alessandro decapitated. Right, right. My God. Yeah, right. That's brutal. Is that pretty vicious? I would say. Do you even remember what that was over? Oh, well, yeah, I was running for governor, and they didn't like me. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're calling you liberal Lou. Uh, liberal Lou, my social, my social agenda. Yeah. How about this one? They were bashing me over the head with this. <laughs> At the time these editorial cartoons ran in the 80s, Lou was a Republican. Now he's a Democrat. you got to yeah. be tough in this business, right? So it's got to be tough. Tutto Italiano, you got to be tough. If you're not, you're in trouble. That's how I've survived, I think, in this business. When you find yourself standing next to Joe Biden or previously Hillary Clinton, do you pinch yourself and say, how did I get here? I pinch myself all the time. I walk into this building, I pinch myself, and I say, I'm a New Hampshire state senator. How good does it get? How good does it get? I'm one lucky guy. It is my privilege to introduce to you my friend, Senator John Edwards. It is an honor and a privilege for me to introduce the United States Senator from Delaware, Joseph Biden. Lou D'Alessandro has never been named an ambassador. He's never been handed a White House job. But he has been courted for years by presidential hopefuls looking for his endorsement. In 2008, Bill Clinton personally called him to ask him to support Hillary. And why do they call him? Perhaps it's because D'Alessandro can give them access to a city, a city he's lived in since the 70s and that he's represented as a senator since 1998. The Queen City, Manchester, New Hampshire. Let's not forget that. Manchester, New Hampshire, biggest city in the state, traditionally pretty working class. And it's got a fair amount of swing voters. You know, Lou D'Alessandro is really somebody who sort of came up in Manchester politics, and that informs his approach to, uh, to doing what he does. Josh Rogers is NHPR senior political reporter, and he's covered New Hampshire politics for a long time. He's watched D'Alessandro in action for years. You know, he's somebody whose politics are, you know, very tactile. Like, he's a very sort mean? of physical guy. Like, he'll clap you on the back. He's eager to shake hands. He, you know, he notices who walks into the room, and you can expect him to acknowledge them in some way. And uh, Willie and Marissa and Pat, so wonderful to see you. Uh, Joyce, who's the mayor of, of, of Manchester. Who, Billy, who played for me at, at Bishop Bradley High School. Stop mentioning names, you get in trouble. Ellen Chapopoulos. Jimmy Jujuga. All of you have a place in, in, in my heart, the beautiful June Craig. And I don't know if we need to describe him. I mean, it's like, you know, a thick, you know, former college football player. Uh, you know, he's got a broken finger from playing football. His pinky is out at some weird angle. Don't know what happened to it, but it doesn't look like it must not have been pleasant when it did happen. Uh, you know, he was a basketball coach for years. He can so he can really yell as anyone who's listened on the on the Senate floor when he gets going. He can flip flip into this kind of yelling mode. Business and industry has said to us without equivocation one thing: we need workers. And it's a it's a more kind of like kind of bullnecked brand of democratic politics than is typical these days. Anybody hired a plumber lately? Hundred bucks an hour. 
$100. I couldn't debate the issue. If he comes back tomorrow, it might be 110 You know, he's somebody who really works to deliver policies that benefit the people who he really sees as his true constituents, which are, you know, middle and lower middle class people from his district and from the city of Manchester. Tell me about his uh, stance on endorsing. Does he take it seriously? Is he how long has he been doing it? You know, how does he view his role? I mean, he views a role significantly uh, seriously enough that he actually um, I, I'm sure you'd say he'd authored this book. But I'm holding it right now. It's called Lou D'Alessandro, Lion of the Senate, Thoughts for Presidential Hopefuls. It's kind of a mouthful. Lou D'Alessandro, Lion of the New Hampshire Senate, Thoughts for Presidential Hopefuls. It was published in the spring of 2018. Um, this was kind of an as-told-to book compiled after conversations at a Dunkin' Donuts equidistant between Manchester and Lemonster, Massachusetts, where the book's uh, author lived. And, okay. um, you know, he's somebody who takes his sort of public discernment process, you know, quite seriously in the book. And, you know, as he said that, you know, kind of what put him on the map as an endorser was uh, 2004. There was a profile of him written in the Washington Post by reporter Mark Leibovich that um, talked about, you know, when is essentially Lou D'Alessandro going to make up his mind that his endorsement was coveted? I mean, 2004 was a crowded year in the Democratic primary. Uh, ultimately, Senator D'Alessandro went with uh, John Edwards. Josh went to one of Senator D'Alessandro's book signings where he talked about this profile in the Post. So Leibovitz writes that if you're going to be the president, you actually got to get Lou D'Alessandro's endorsement in, in New Hampshire. It's interesting to think about that we're talking about somebody who was uh, deep into his 60s by the time his endorsement was perceived as being significant. And if you actually read the article that the senator would cite as uh, what set him on his path to being perceived as kind of a kingmaker, you know, it's an article that it, that that seems to convey that he's like a likable guy, but also... Uh, sort of mocks him as a kind of archetype of early voting states, the kind of courted local official whose uh, significance is probably ultimately pretty small. What is Lou's discernment process like? I mean, he would tell you that he spends a lot of time thinking about who he would endorse. And, you know, viewing from the outside, it seems pretty clear when he makes a case for whomever he endorses you know, what it tends to boil down to is I believe this candidate, I believe that he or she could best represent the interests of the people I represent. You know, the candidate he tends to gravitate towards is the candidate who has, you know, the coalition that includes, you know, working class, uh, lower middle class uh, voters. But the senator is without question one of the real rising stars in, in politics, great public policy person, person who cares about you, cares about what your life is going to be all about. And without further ado, Senator John Edwards. Senator Edwards. And, you know, when he campaigns with these candidates, you know, that's the message he's trying to hammer home as well. I mean, you could see it when Hillary Clinton, when he's campaigned with her in 2008, you know, took her door to door on the west side of Manchester, his district, freezing day. Right, right. Mountain climbing. Taking her into the houses of, you know, normal voters, uh, not terribly well healed. 
mail slot there. Okay, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. I'd love to have your consideration for the primary. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. That was back in 2008, and then in 2016, he endorsed Clinton again. And I thank him very much for his support and his friendship. Thank you, Lou. This just doesn't look a Biden. Okay, there it is. All right, let's just park here. This time around, for the 2020 primary, Lou D'Alessandro is endorsing Joe Biden. Shortly after making the announcement this summer, he told a local paper he felt endorsements still matter. Local politicians feel the pulse of the people, he said. (laughs) You went to see Lou in action working for the Biden campaign. Yeah. So are there any particular sorts of voters that are being targeted this evening? I don't think so. Uh, I could be wrong. This was an event where he was headlining a phone banking. You know, I think there were maybe 12 volunteers of the campaign in, all with uh, flip phones provided by the campaign. Thank you. I'm calling from the Joe Biden campaign. This was taking place on a weeknight at around... You know, six o'clock. Yeah. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Jody. Take good care. Bye bye. That one felt good. Is that a good one? How many how many times do you think you've phone banked in your life? Well, I, it started in uh, in like nineteen seventy five. <laughs> so I phone banked a lot. <laughs> yeah, a lot. A lot. When we actually had phones. <laughs> you know, you know the campaign said they weren't targeting anyone in particular, but like if you could look at the, I mean, I was looking over his shoulder at the list, and a lot of these people were older voters. If you made this page, you're 60. That's it. You have you had to be 60, otherwise I won't talk to you. Well, we got a 41 year old there. Forty one. He's stuck in, out out on the town, out on the town, living it up. You take a crack at one of these so we can see how persuasive you are this evening. <laughs> how well I do it. Okay. Suzanne. Should have got my last one. Because he was really with us. Recording. You may hang up or press one for more options. Everybody's got you on their machines. Hello? It comes up on the it's screen. It's usually better luck. I don't know. These are the dead ends. Hello, Albus. Yes, the debate is tonight. Hi, this is Lou Delacidro calling on behalf of the Biden campaign. How are things? With less than 100 days left of the primary, we're reaching out to as many voters as we can to find out what your thoughts are with regard to the primary. What what do you think? Uh, How has Senator Biden fit in your your list of candidates? Sure. Um, Senator Biden running for the the presidency with the primaries 100 days out. And uh, what are you thinking about in terms of your your voting in this primary? Good. Well, we want you to think about Joe Biden, and uh, tomorrow night Michelle Kwan is coming to to Gofstein. You might want to drop in to see her. 
She's the Olympic figure skating champion. Well, okay. Well, thanks a million, and, uh, and appreciate your thinking about us, and we'll look forward to, to seeing you on the road. Right. We're second choice. You know, these are the sort of voters that, you know, Joe Biden will need to have in order to win. And, you know, and I don't know if this is true, but he would believe that, that he, he believes that these people are best reached, you know, looking them in the eye, you know, at senior centers, at subsidized apartment complexes, you know, at nursing homes, looking them in the eye and saying, you know, Joe Biden is the kind of guy who understands us, who will do what ought to be done. But they're going to they're gonna vote, not by calling you, but by going to the Parazo apartment building, by going to the Burns apartment building, by going to the Carpenter Center, and, and meeting these people, like we used to in the old days, one-on-one, and asking, and asking for, your, for your vote. That's where they congregate. That's where, where I think uh, these key votes are. But the, whole, you know, the, the world's changing, as you, as you know. And uh, this, this is different. I think it's an open question what local endorsements have ever meant to presidential campaigns, at least if we're talking about within the you know, political lifespan of somebody like Lou D'Alessandro. I mean, uh, any serious campaign has all sorts of sophisticated digital tools to micro-target uh, and really drill down on who they think they can persuade, you know, using more like kind of algorithmic approaches than like Lou D'Alessandro looking people in the eye and saying, you know, Joe's a great guy. I mean, obviously you you weigh your decisions very seriously and soberly when you're trying to figure out who to support. I mean, do you think endorsements matter in this day and age? I, I, no, I don't. No, I don't. The, the one-on-one situation is so important, and we're losing that. The great thing about the New Hampshire primary was that fact, and, and we're losing that. Okay. Uh, I'll be there. Yeah, I know you will. Okay. All right. Okay, Josh. Make it across the river. Yeah, we got to go across the river. Yeah, well, we need a passport. <laughs> Usually it's a police escort, but uh, we're given that up. They're too busy chasing crime. <laughs> D'Alessandro makes endorsing during the primary a big part of his political brand. But not everyone here who's in a position to endorse feels the way he does. You know, I've seen it all my life here. Uh, and finally I said, you know what, if I don't speak up, people are not really going to change and take us seriously. So I think right now it's my role to just call it for what it is. We'll be right back. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. If you're talking about endorsements in New Hampshire, it's worth noting in the last primary, 2016, two people who won here did so without any major local endorsements. Senator Bernie Sanders and now President Donald Trump. But that hasn't stopped many of the 2020 candidates from fishing for endorsements here, as evidenced by my colleague Casey McDermott's inbox. This is kind of like a week in the life of a political reporter in New Hampshire. Um, So Wednesday, November 20th, 50 Granite State legislators declare support for Elizabeth Warren. We've got Monday, December 2nd, Dover City Councilor Michelle Muffet-Lipinski endorses Cory Booker for president. We've got uh, December 3rd, Cory Booker earns his 100th New Hampshire endorsement. Okay, so you get the point. This is happening all the time. There's a race behind the scenes of the 2020 primary to secure endorsements in early states. Some people call it the invisible primary. What is really important to understand is that New Hampshire has the largest legislature in the country. And what that means is there are 424 state reps and state senators, 400 state reps, 24 state senators, Um, not to mention the fact that we have hundreds of towns and, you know, cities across the state. Casey did some reporting on what state reps make of all this. Do they think they're worth all the attention and the press releases? Can I ask you a few questions while we wait for the elevator here? Sure. So I asked around if I saw lawmakers at um, candidate filing events. Excuse me, Representative. Have you endorsed the vice president? No, no. Here's the first thing that stands out in the tape Casey brought back. The campaigns clearly value the endorsements of state lawmakers because they are working for them. Oh, close to 50 between email and phone, I think. It's a lot, yeah. Because, as you know, there are 400 House members. So (laughs) presumably all of them are getting this kind of attention. Have you heard from a lot of campaigns? Yeah, phone calls, emails. I got a text from one of the candidates when I uh, was in the hospital this summer. That was very nice. At the height of the summer, there were 20-plus Democrats running for president, competing for the endorsement of 400-plus state lawmakers. A text from the candidate... Nice touch. Casey asked all the reps she spoke with, what value do you think your endorsement brings to the campaigns? And the answers you're about to hear are pretty consistent across the board. And they were surprising. I think it's what, what the state reps bring is negligible. I mean, the state reps, I, I always felt that endorsements weren't that important anyway. 
What do you think your endorsement brings to a presidential campaign? Frankly, not much. <laughs> I don't think endorsements generally make much of a difference in campaigns overall. Why do you think the campaign spends so much time courting you then? Because they want a good show from the state they're in. From the people who supposedly the people have already trusted, so now they, you know, it's like guilt by association. So most local politicians say they're ambivalent about the endorsement transaction. A few admitted they like the attention. It's worth noting New Hampshire has a volunteer legislature. Lawmakers earn 100 bucks a year before taxes. But at least one person Casey spoke with, a person who's in a position to endorse, seems jaded by endorsements. But one of the most interesting conversations that I had was actually with someone who said that she no longer endorses. So Eva Castillo hmm. is a local activist who does a lot of work around immigration issues. Or we're going to stand up against xenophobia and racism and bigotry. Here's Castillo in 2015 protesting in front of the New Hampshire State House. So let's shove it in their faces. We are the home of the free and we're going to remain that way. I've gotten calls from a few campaigns, yes. Casey and, interviewed uh, Castillo at a union breakfast. She's originally from Venezuela, and she's been in the U.S. since 1975, most of that time in New Hampshire. She has endorsed in the past, but has felt like she's been almost kind of taken for granted, that she's been used as a press release. We tend to be just used as a face. And so that's why I don't endorse anybody personally, because I'm not the token anything for anybody. You know, I've seen it all my life here. Uh, and finally I said, you know what, if I don't speak up, uh, people are not really going to change and take us seriously. So I think right now it's my role to just call it for what it is. So Eva Castillo has been in one of those endorsement press releases that the campaign sent out. And she didn't like it. And so New Hampshire, will you stand with me? But Casey also talked to another politico who sees power in her presidential endorsement. I was scared at one time to do any sort of public service. I've also been someone who's has been eating cheese and peanut butter crackers for, for lunch and dinner because I was so poor. And, that and, is and uh, state rep today, Jerry Cannon. Jerry is really well known for her activism on trans issues. She is transgender. Jerry Cannon was an activist before she was a lawmaker. She's also been a master carpenter and a long-haul truck driver. And she says she's still facing discrimination all the time. She recently wrote an editorial about how, twice in a year, she was called a nasty slur while standing in front of her own home. Uh, many transgender people and their, and their supporters who have, have told me right outright, I've become a role model for them. And so I, it's because of leaders like Corey that believed in me. And I have reconnected with people and find that uh, I have a voice. Jerry Cannon endorsed Cory Booker, and she feels good about it. But she shares that same concern with Eva Castillo. She does not want to be some symbol or token. I've already let them know. I said, I don't want them to overuse me as a, as a transgender um, representative. On the other hand, I know that's important. There are transgender people that need to know they can stand up for a candidate, that they can be public. That's, that's important. 
So here's one thing that pretty much every endorsement buys. Proximity to power. Proximity to someone who, within a year of the New Hampshire primary, could be in the White House. It's the kind of thing that can feel like a lot without actually meaning a lot in practice. And it especially feels like a lot if you perform what amounts to a political ritual every time your party is selecting a nominee. In, you know, New Hampshire is a place where, as somebody who covers politics here, you know, it's always remarkable kind of what people, be they industry groups or lobbyists, or by extension, like a presidential candidate, can get people to do you know, for free. Like we have a legislature where people are willing to serve for like a hundred bucks a year, which I don't know whether that like predisposes our political culture to be one where, you know, the quid pro quo kind of stuff doesn't really happen as much or the stakes are just incredibly low and parochial and provincial. You know, somebody will endorse you. And if you get on their Christmas card list, if they make it to the White House, you know, that can be plenty. Like, there was one very well-known Democratic Party activist who, my understanding, like, kept a moldy cookie from a Christmas party they attended at the White House on their kitchen counter, you know, for months after the fact. It's moldy, it's in plastic, and I do think that's in some way emblematic of our political culture prizing access and putatively intimate relationship with people running for president or people who become president and really kind of leave it there in some ways. I mean, some people may leverage it into business opportunities or the perception that they're a needed person or a wise person. But by and large, like it's hard to see real transactions beyond the conceptual when it comes to local politicians endorsing would-be presidents here. This episode of Stranglehold was reported by Josh Rogers and Casey McDermott. It was produced by me, Jack Rodolico, and Maureen McMurray. Edited by NHPR's news director, Dan Barrick, and our director of content, Maureen McMurray, with help from Casey McDermott, Josh Rogers, and Jason Moon. Mixing by Rebecca Lavoie. Original music also by Jason Moon and Lucas Anderson. Podcast graphics by Sarah Plord. Our website is strangleholdpodcast.org. Stranglehold is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Lou D'Alessandro, Line of the New Hampshire Senate, Thoughts for Presidential Hopefuls, written by Mark C. Bedanza from Interviews and Personal Conversations. Lou's rough and tumble was not limited to the football field that fall. He took up his duties on the lunch line with the cafeteria staff. When an insolent student made a disrespectful remark about the appearance of a lady staff member, Lou jumped over the counter and exacted some immediate justice. The unhesitating action won Lou great favor with the cafeteria staff. It was something they never forgot. Later, those same ladies helped in Lou's campaigns and joined with him in sponsoring a bill, the School Feeding and Nutrition Act. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. 
Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Ship. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.